0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. On this episode, I talk with Nathan Contney, the CEO of Highrise, the SaaS CRM app that was originally developed by the Basecamp team, formerly known as 37Signals. Nathan is the co-founder of two YC companies, Inkling and CityPosh. One of them is still in business, the other one failed and had to be shut down. We talk about the lessons he learned from both those experiences and what he'd do differently now. Nathan is also the creator of the online writing app Draft. He built that product and business as a solo founder, and he used blogging as a way to build an audience and get customers. Now that's a lot to do for any founder. And we have a great discussion on how he managed to keep so many plates spinning and get things done without going crazy. Uh, a few years ago, Nathan became the CEO of Highrise. We talk about how he met Jason Freed, the co-founder and CEO of Basecamp, and how that led to a job offer at Highrise. And we discuss the big challenges that he's facing with Highrise and uh, what he's doing about that. Nathan is an experienced serial entrepreneur. He's very transparent and shares a ton of valuable insights and advice with me. And he's a great guy who I've really enjoyed getting to know better. I think you'll enjoy this interview and also get a ton of value from it. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with boopos.com. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sasclub.io slash newsletter and join over 4,000 other SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already using these insights to grow their businesses. Subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today and get the support you need to keep moving forward on your SaaS journey. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Now, I already asked you this and uh, whether you prefer Nathan or Nate, so <laughs> you're good with both. So I'm just going to call you Nate from now on. Awesome. <laughs> Cool. So uh, I like to start by asking my guests if there's a favorite quote or saying that drives or motivates them. Is is there something for you that's top of mind?
1: Yeah, I mean I think there's this like one thing that guides like almost everything I do and, and there and there's all versions of this quote. I think this is attributed to Cheryl Sandberg, who kind of said it in this succinct way, but it's it's just done is better than perfect. Everything I do and probably everything a lot of the stuff we're gonna talk about today is is driven from this that I just try to get stuff accomplished. I don't want to labor over everything. You can't predict the future and you just got to get it done and out there before you see the results of it. So I I don't let perfection stop me from trying to get the things I want done.
0: Man, I wish I was like you. (laughs) I struggle with that a lot. I'm, I'm kind of always have always been like very much of a perfectionist and probably looking back, I probably waste a lot of time on little things that probably don't matter or you could have just got you know get things out there get feedback someone once said to me if you think about it in this way in terms of you know the 80/20 rule apply that get the 80% done get something out there get feedback and then the 20% you didn't do try to do an 80% on that just kind of like sort of iterate that way rather than and trying to be sort of a perfectionist and uh When it comes to writing, that's something that I struggle with a lot because I'm terrible at just being able to get stuff out there quickly. And we're going to talk about writing because you do a lot of it and draft is about helping people write better. But yeah, it's just, um, I'm going to print out that quote and put it up somewhere. I'm going to start reading it every day. There we go. There we go.
1: Yeah, you no, know, and I've been there too. I, I wasn't always this way either. You know, the first, there was a, a thing I wanted to see in the world. I thought my first startup was going to be back in like 2003 or 2004. I was working on this thing. I was working on this like mobile version of a database administration software. Like I saw, you know, mobile devices were becoming more popular than, not smartphones yet, but like PDAs you could run Java on them now. And so I started creating this like database tool on, on Java enabled pocket devices. And this is like way before it's time, you know, the stuff is like prevalent today and, I never released it. It never got done. I mean, it was this thing I just kept working on and working on and working on because it didn't have this feature, didn't have this feature. and That is one of those things I keep looking at. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I, I really wish I had launched that because if I had kind of turned that into a business, I think it would be a pretty successful business today given all the new infrastructure that's been provided that isn't just Java, but I could have built it for Android phones. I could have just built it for iPhones, but I never released it. So it's one of those nagging things in me that's just like, I can't let perfectionism because it it's in me too. I can't let it stop me from seeing a thing that I want out in the world. So it forces me to find the balance.
0: Yeah, I love that. Love that attitude. Okay, so in 2005 you co-founded Inkling and got accepted into Y Combinator. Tell us a little bit about that business, like, you know, what was it and where did the idea for it come from?
1: So we applied to Y Combinator I was kind of obsessed with this idea of crowd wisdom. You know, I was working for, at the time, I had my first job out of college was at Accenture, Anderson Consulting at the time, big, huge consulting company. Um, I went to go work for a much smaller software company after that for a couple of years. But I was still very much kind of exhausted with like working at corporations. And I always felt like corporations were making all these decisions, you know, based only on like the the thoughts and opinions of just a few people, I felt like a lot of us as employees had a lot of great ideas and input and insight in how things are going, but nobody's paying any attention. None of this this insight from us really trickles up very much. I mean, sure, a manager might ask you something, but it's like, is this really getting to decision makers and how can we make that like more democratic? And I wanted to create tools that would maybe make working at a place like Accenture a better place. So that's kind of what drove it. And I also felt like I was also making all these decisions that I could have used help with, you know, kind of drawing help from friends and just people out on the internet, like, hey, you know, do you think this is a good idea? How can I gather that wisdom? So Inkling was a form of a prediction market. It was like this virtual stock exchange. You know, you could put out a... You know, today it's a lot of people kind of understand this concept, but back then it was still very novel. But it was like, you know, you could put out a stock, not in a company anymore, but in, in a decision or a project. You could say, is this project going to get done on time? And then people could place virtual bets. You know, even the employees could place virtual bets. Like, yeah, I really think this project is going to get done by this date. And if it does get done by this date, you know, the people who bought into that stock can get rewarded, you know, their virtual currency will increase, and the people who made bad bets, their virtual currency will decrease. So it was just creating this virtual stock exchange that then we sold to small businesses, but mostly big businesses, companies like Procter & Gamble, anyone that had like a really huge crowd they needed wisdom from, like a really, some good customers of ours were governments, like the U.S. government where they're trying to get like all this data from all these different you know, government agencies and all these different employees of the government. That's what Inkling did.
0: So you were the CTO there for uh, about six years. And the company is still around, but you decided to leave around 2011?
1: Yeah. So now my partner, he he took over. He acquired the company and kind of roll it into another company where they're still kind of pursuing a lot of these projects to kind of corral the wisdom of the crowd. But yeah, at the time we wanted, you know, I, I've always really wanted to pursue tools in an industry that I knew very well, and it suited my own purposes. So I could make much faster decisions. Like Inkling came from a place where like, I thought I could use it myself, but really the, the core user and the core beneficiary of gathering wisdom of a crowd is someone who has a really huge crowd. So our best customers, like I mentioned, like became huge governments, banks, conglomerates. And it's like, I love it. I love that we were able to create that and put that out in the world, but it didn't serve my needs at all. It wasn't something I used anymore. And so any time we needed to make a decision on how to make the product better, I couldn't use my instincts anymore. It was always like, well, we better have a meeting with you know the folks at Procter and Gamble to see like what they need or if they like this, and that's not where I want to be as someone who designs and builds products. Like I, I really want to be working much more for my gut and putting things out that I really believe in. So yeah, we, we, I wanted to do something else and, and started taking some other shots in two thousand
0: eleven. Is your kind of philosophy more about building the product that you want to see versus? Spending more time asking people what they want, or
1: absolutely. I mean, it, it's not black and white. I mean, you, I would never say like, well, you can't do it the other way; you'll never be successful. But I do believe if you start with the stuff that's really that you know really well and suits your own needs, you know, that whole eat your own dog food kind of principle. I really think you improve your chances of success by a lot. You know, no longer are you beholden to all this insight from people that's really hard to kind of gather sometimes. Like, you know, we all know focus groups don't work often and you can be led astray by a lot of people's opinions. And even since then, I've looked for external validation from people and have been led astray over and over and over again. And so yeah, I mean, I really believe most people should start there. You know, what problems do you face yourself And just start working on those before and run that well dry before you start trying to take on other people's problems.
0: So you founded CityPosh, which was your second YC startup in around that time, 2011, 2012. And this was kind of like a gaming platform, right?
1: Yeah. So this kind of started from there's all sorts of little weird threads from this. Cause it was like, I was paying attention to the success of things like Zynga and Facebook gaming at the time, you know, Zynga was taking off like crazy. Everybody was playing Farmville and games like Bejeweled and, and, I also saw like Groupon had been taking off and Groupon was doing well. And, you know, we were kind of kicking around this idea of like, well, what would be the next Groupon? And everybody's complaining about Groupon being this like, the only reason it works is because they're offering this huge discount. But they were also kind of like an entertaining thing in people's lives. Like people were excited to get that email newsletter. They were excited to buy a, a Groupon to go do something entertaining they've never done before, a restaurant they would have never tried before. And so we were like, okay, well, that's interesting. Can we do something for companies to help advertise kind of like what Groupon is doing? But instead of the discount, we really focus on the entertainment thing. So what if we built a bunch of games that people would play and we would borrow from all these popular game mechanics like Bejeweled and stuff, but these games were were just advert gaming. Instead of Bejeweled, we would offer games like Bejeweled, but instead of jewels, if we did business, say with the gap, you know, the gap instead of jewels could insert their own logos and images from their inventory, you know, new sweaters they've got coming out for the winter. And if we could provide a, a platform like that, people would be playing it and playing with all these brand images constantly maybe then they would be like really attracted to you know they next time they're shopping for a sweater they would think gap that was our pitch that was our our uh, reason for for doing the city posh gaming platform
0: so you you weren't the solo founder for city posh you had a founder a co-founder
1: yeah yeah it was actually my partner also at inkling and so if you kind of listen really closely to like and i mean this might be the question you're about to ask but it's like i just said i wanted to get out of inkling because we were doing you know these projects for these big companies i basically screwed up again i mean city posh was a product for other companies and big brands you know in the end we didn't create something that was useful for us at all and i think that was in the end a huge reason for its implosion but yeah we basically created something to help companies like again like procter and gamble and and people advertise on the internet
0: better what do you think went wrong with, with city posh?
1: So a variety of things. One is we were doing this, like we were actually having some success with it. Like people were playing our games. Like on average, we were getting about two hours a day per person on average playing these games, which is when I was researching at the time was like Zynga level engagement in these games. Yeah. And so it was like, oh my gosh, we're doing great. But then like, the problem was selling it to the brands. It was like you go to these brands. Like we we would have meetings with with important people. Like we had meetings with Procter and Gamble. You know, we'd have a meeting with Microsoft, and we'd be like, "Look, like we've got this cool gaming platform. And people play it a lot, and we think it could be the future or one avenue of advertising. Like instead of just dumping your money on buying a banner ad, you could dump those same kind of assets and images and things into these suite of games that we've already built." You don't even have to build your own game. We've already got them built. And have your fans and your your social network play these things. and, And just it's basically like they're playing a commercial for you all day long. And it was interesting. And I we we got meetings. People definitely were interested. But man, it was like a very hard sell. It was like, well, what is the return on investment? It's like, well, I don't know because. This is one of those brand building exercises. Like people aren't going to just click on a, a sweater while playing the game and buy the the sweater. They're not going to buy diapers right away. It's like I, it's hard to quantify that, any, that this is working for one. What I can quantify is that people are excited about it. But that's when you're talking to someone who wants an ROI on their ad spend. It's it's kind of difficult. And then that was it. Like, I mean, we saw those those difficult conversations happening. And because, again, this was another business for people that weren't like us, you know, for startups, for for solo founders, we were so uninterested in, like, seeing this business through. And we had just spent six years building Inkling with some of these same problems. And we were exhausted from these types of problems. So it was like, I don't want to do this again. I can't see a company I can't spend another six years working on other people's problems and seeing these tough sales conversations to completion. So we kind of just gave up on it. I, I really think there was something fruitful there, but it didn't have my heart. It I really didn't have the, the willpower to, to see it through because startups are hard. All startups are hard, but I couldn't complete this thing.
0: So at some point you sort of, well, it wasn't even a pivot, right? Because, you, I mean, you started focusing on draft and- it's still partly kind of operating under CityPosh. And I know I was kind of playing around with draft and I got an email from a uh, at cityposh.com domain back.
1: Yeah. My partner and I went our separate ways. Like my partner went back to the wisdom of crowd stuff, you know, running Inkling and, and doing some, you know, fresh things there. I decided like one to take a break. I needed to get my head a little bit. I tried some things. I was trying some other stuff, but I ended up taking a break. I ended up working for on the tech team for the Obama campaign for like six months. <laughs> that was hard, and yet it was still more relaxing than running a startup, I think. And it's crazy when people hear that, because like they know, like whoa, working on a presidential campaign is really stressful, it's like a lot of work. And it's like, it is, but it sure beats like being up all night trying to figure out how to make money and find new customers. It's, it's <laughs> definitely a different mindset. And so I, I took a break. I wasn't really in it for the politics. I just really needed my my brain in a separate place. And I came out of that really fresh and I had been building an audience now for a while doing writing and it was like, you know what? If I'm going to really give this another go, I really need to focus. I keep talking about it. I got to focus on my own problems. And it's like I got to make writing software. Like I've got a lot of pain points with writing with collaborating with editors and with version control of my writing. I'm going to just start tackling these problems and see what happens. So I had some money left over in the bank account from Posh. And so Posh, the entity, is still around, but it helped fuel and it invested in what became Draft, the writing software.
0: So one thing I'm curious about is you guys went through Y Combinator with Inkling and then... Some years, what, five years later or so, you went back again and said, okay, we have this new idea for City Posh, and you got into YC again with that. Yep. Wasn't there a conversation about like, why are you guys like trying to run two businesses or why you're not doubling down on Inkling? And did any of that sort of come up? Yeah,
1: not really. I remember talking to Paul Graham about this, and it's like, they're always trying to take shots you know and and they're doing this at such big scale right now so like if any investor is going to talk to you about something like this it's definitely the folks at YC who are really interested in like taking new shots taking new shots and like inkling has been doing okay but it's like it's not one of these businesses that's exhibiting like really nice growth you know like i can't point to it and be like well that's really stupid because this thing is just like taking off like crazy like i wanted to take more shots like let's take on something that's like maybe going to get more traction than than even Inkling has right now. So no, Paul's like, "Nah, of course. Yeah, let's let's take another shot at doing something different." I mean, there was like a brief conversation, but it was like, "Oh, cool, you got another idea? Yeah, let's let's take another shot at, at doing something fun. You guys seem to know how to execute. You guys still run a business. So it's like you guys aren't going to like just throw away our money doing something really stupid. So at least they could trust us." So, you know, they buy into that and like they know people like take chance after chance after chance, like some of the early founders, like I love Justin Kahn. He was a great example. Justin was in the first batch of YC. He created Kiko. Was it an online calendar? And then when like Google came out with their calendar, he was like, "Eh, "This is going to be really tough to get much traction. So like he did another startup, you know, that that became Justin TV. And then that became Twitch. And like, you know, they've got all of these examples of people who like Justin Smart, you know, he obviously knows how to like get stuff executed on and it took him a little while here to finally land on the things, but they kept investing in him, giving him shots to, to get another chance at doing something really remarkable.
0: That's actually a really great example. So it kind of totally makes sense that, what do they say? They, they're kind of, the saying goes betting on the, the jockey as opposed to the horse. Right. Right. right Cause definitely. there's plenty of, the horses, there's plenty of ideas out there, but it's really about who are the people who can make those ideas, turn them into businesses. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so draft. I can kind of understand, like, okay, so you found something that there's a problem that you can solve for yourself. And I know that you had been spending a lot of time, you know, investing in, in blogging and sort of kind of refining that craft. But also, there's no shortage of writing apps out there. I mean, maybe it was different back then. So I was kind of wondering, like, what was the driver for you to say, I'm going to go and do this and this is why I believe I can do better?
1: You know, it came from a sense of, well, I know this space really well. And so I, I was flush with different ideas. And so like I could look at any writing program and be like, well, it no, no one's doing any of this. And I was very confident that no one was doing these things. Like, you know, I could point to no one is doing version control. I mean, still to this day, I don't think anyone does version control as well as draft does version control. It's saving these major edits. I can send a document and have the ability to accept changes, individual changes versus like, you know, you look at like version control and software, when you get a Git pull request, it's all or nothing, you know, like right. and that's kind of like what Google Docs is pretty much. Although maybe they've introduced this, I think they may have introduced this in the last couple of years. But you know, Google Docs by default, you send someone a doc and they're like writing on top of you. There is no like, whoa, 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 I just want you to suggest a change, get out of my document. And give me more control. So, I mean, I could point to, right, like anything. Like, Word was a good tool. I mean, there's good things. But it was like, man, we're not going to be trading Word documents back and forth over email. Like, everyone knows how that turns out. And so I was just confident because it's like, I do this all day. I write all day. I think I've got a pretty good, you know, because this is like such a, a deep hobby slash career of mine. I can look at things pretty objectively and know that I've got some ideas I'm not seeing in all these other tools. So it seemed like a, a good bet. Like, let's, let me start making some stuff to solve those problems. And I'm not that naive about
0: it. So it was just you working on, on draft Yep. and you were doing everything from building the product to thinking about marketing, writing, trying to get the word out there. And quite often we hear that it's really difficult for a single founder to succeed and that you have to have a co-founder if you're really going to have a shot at getting anywhere. What do you think was different for you? How were you able to make this work? And particularly, like, how were you kind of thinking about your time when you've got, like, all of these things to do and it's just you? Yeah, It can really quickly get overwhelming.
1: No, I totally agree. And so, There's probably a a bunch of things. So one, you know, like I I forget who said it. It, It's one of these popular VCs about the most difficult thing about a startup is just managing your own psychology. I mean, and it's true. I forget who said it. Maybe it's like Mark Andreessen or something. But it's like you think it's like building a product. You think it's like doing marketing, and you think it's like finding customers, and it's none of that. I think the biggest problem is just managing your psychology to like just keep going because. You know, running these startups and and chasing ideas, there's bad odds stacked against you. There's a lot of people that are going to say no. There's a lot of problems you're going to face, even if you have some success. I mean, I look at even the people who've had a lot of success. Like, you know, you look at the Groupons and you look at Airbnb, like these really fast-growing companies historically. And they're full of problems that I know have driven the founders really batty. You know, like, I Andrew Mason's a friend of mine. Like, you know, I know he went through a lot of stuff at Groupon. And, you know, just because Airbnb is is part of YC, like, I know a lot of stuff early on caused so much trouble for those guys, like, psychologically, I'm sure. And so going through things like the startups already that I had been going through, I don't know, prepares me a little bit more to be a little, like, mentally tough to take on a challenge, like, being a solo founder. Because one of the best things I think you get out of having another a founder with you is simply just it's the moral support it's it's you know having someone there that you can complain to when you're feeling down they can pick you up when they're down you can pick them up and that's one of the big ones and so it's like if if you're really young and and you are going to face starting a business as a solo founder it's not impossible but you got to be really aware of the toll it might take on you psychologically and you know if you don't have obviously the co-founder and you you don't have maybe the mental toughness of doing it from, you know, startups for the past five, six, seven years with other people or whatever, you're going to have to find other ways. I think kind of toughening yourself up, you know, whether it's like, you know, you start taking on more physical challenges to really teach you, you know, how deep you can really go. Maybe that's, that's a version of it or seeking professional help. Like I think a lot more people should start seeing like therapists just to kind of make sure, you know, like, Hey, are you doing okay? Like, just psychologically like go get help that's okay it's okay to talk to people or you know i i luck out cuz i've got a wife she's always been like a really great silent partner so i can always go to her and talk through ideas or really lean on your friends and your network to be those like silent partners for you i think the whole psychological aspect of it is the maybe the most important part and it's tough even for co-founders, right? Like I'm running high rise now. We've got a lot of challenges and I've got like really smart people with me. My, I consider my wife, she works at high rise now as a co-founder. It's still really hard. So yeah, really focus on your psychology and, and keeping it right. So yeah, that, that was a big one. That uh, was was kind of a challenge being a solo founder. The other thing I also relied on too, or like and, and still do, is, is services that I can outsource. Like there are so many great services today for doing everything. Everything from like I use Heroku because it's like it's basically like having a DevOps team, you know, that I don't have to like have on staff. You know, they're making sure like the health of everything is a OK. It's like a step up of just using raw. Amazon web services, now I've got these people who are like really focused on making sure I have all the tools at my disposal, everything is available, everything is going to be up and running, and I can integrate with anything fast. I also did things like accounting I outsourced really quick. Indonero is a tool I, I've used really early on. They're basically kind of an outsourced accounting and bookkeeping service. There's a couple versions of this out these days, but that was another one where it was just like, I've got to get more help than just me managing my taxes and my bookkeeping and just hiring a, a CPA. Cause I know how that goes. You know, they're going to do the taxes, but they're going to still ask me to keep a lot of stuff in order. So it was just like, I don't have that. I'm going to outsource everything to these the CPA service, bookkeeping service, even editing. So like, draft has a professional editing mode inside and it was like well I don't I can't do the edits myself I don't want to hire a bunch of employees myself because that's really tough to manage as a solo founder starting to bring on employees and trying to manage them and get us do marketing and build a product so I, I hired a, my friend's company that had a bunch of basically outsourced talent to do all sorts of different things the company is called lead genius now They mostly focus on like outsourcing, kind of like getting sales leads. But back in the day, you could kind of get them for a lot of generic tasks. And so I hired them. They were really smart. A lot of college educated people were in their their talent pool. I could give them a document and be like, can you proofread this? Make sure it, it sounds right. So they were my editing staff. So I outsource everything I can outsource. If there's a service for it, I will sign up for it. So that I don't have to kind of run this in house. That's a huge time saver and kind of like alleviates a lot of the the mental overwhelming stuff that can happen as a as a solo founder.
0: Yeah, that that was a cool feature I noticed in in Draft that you can just click this button and uh, it'll take care of finding somebody who can edit your document for you. Very cool. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I mean that was another one that was just like that just came out of the like the fact that it was like well. I'm constantly sending a document to an editor like my wife or a friend, but when I don't have them around, I'm in kind of a pinch. So it was like, well, how can I provide that for people like with a click of a button? Again, it was just one of those things that only happened because I knew the workflow so well of what I was trying to improve. So yeah, that was another one that was just like, it wouldn't have happened had I probably been asking people for what they wanted. You know, no one's asking, like, oh man, if you could just add this button to get a professional editor. That would be really great. I've never had that feature request. You know, like it was only something that that because I knew it really well, it came to me.
0: <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And talking about what you mentioned earlier about the psychology of being a founder, and Airbnb in particular, it reminded me of that um, post I saw a while back from Brian Chesky about when they were back in whenever it was they were they were trying to raise like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And, um, you know, they reached out to like seven investors in the Valley and and five rejected them and two didn't even reply back. How many of us would have kind of like said, maybe given up at that point and said, well, if all of these investors think it's a sucky idea, then maybe we shouldn't spend a lot of time building this Airbnb business. Right. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, They've got so many versions of that story too. And I think, like, the reason they were able to kind of see that through, I, I, I only vaguely am familiar with this article because I think I've read it, but yeah, it's, it, I don't have it. And I'm going to put words in Brian's mouth. But I feel like they've gone through so much stuff at that company that they have, like, super mental toughness. Like, there was probably no problem seeing that through. Because, like, I know, like, even early on when they were starting Airbnb, like, Paul Graham thought it was a terrible idea. <laughs> you know, like the, back in the day when they were actually thinking like people were going to just have airbeds beds in, in random people's homes, because it, it wasn't so much like renting a room or renting like a, you know, an apartment or house back then. It was like a legit, they thought people were going to like rent out air beds. And, you know, Paul Graham thought this was a silly idea. But again, he like kind of believed in them, you know, like, well, they'll, they'll figure this out. And they, he saw how scrappy they were. These were the guys. Airbnb were the folks who, when they were running out of money, they put out cereal, two cereal boxes. This is during the first Obama election in which you know it was Obama and, and John McCain running for president. And so they made two cereals, Obama O's and, like, I forgot what John McCain's cereal, but they basically created the cereal, and that's how they helped bootstrap themselves a little further, was selling the cereal because people were buying what is almost like collector edition cereals, they've got tons of stories like that. So. I, I remember
0: hearing that story. That was like crazy. Yeah. It was like, wait, how how did you go from Airbnb to selling cereal, right? Yeah. But it was like...
1: Yeah, it was like a great example of like, they're scrappy, they're going to do whatever it takes to keep things going. And maybe those things were passed down from their parents or whatever they got through growing up. But that's the kind of stuff, like over and over again, I see... Some of the most successful people, like being in the spot that I have been in now, working at, you know, doing two YC companies, like I've got friends and colleagues that are like, it's pretty wild. Like, I, I don't say this to brag because there's really nothing to brag about here, but it's like, I know some like really crazy people. Like, I remember like when we started Inkling, having Steve Huffman and Alexis Ohanian, they needed a place to stay when they were still starting Reddit. And so they slept on our couches in our living room. Because, you know, Reddit wasn't yet like the fourth largest site in the United States. Wow! In this circle of people, it's wild how many people you just see them having to have gone through so many things to finally land on the really great idea or that marketing tactic that finally works. You know, like there's countless people whose stories I can't even tell because I think they they wouldn't let me. But it's like they try thing after thing after thing after thing after thing, and then finally something works. And so you can't give up the first time and the second time or the third time. You got to play the, the law of large numbers or something and just keep doing it until something finally clicks.
0: Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Boopos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings as well as listings from other marketplaces and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupos has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io. Slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io O O P O S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with Bupos.com. And I think that's so important because it's so easy to paint a positive picture of building a business, and and you know, you could say I'm kind of partly responsible for that with this show where there's a lot of focus on, you know, how somebody built this business or how somebody built a multi-million dollar business or whatever. And if you're an entrepreneur who is still trying to get traction or trying to figure out the right business idea, it can be pretty frustrating just to hear all of these stories where it sounds so easy for people to have built those businesses. And like you're saying, often the reality is that it wasn't. And maybe I need to spend more time digging into all the things that went wrong with people, you know, without depressing everybody who's listening.
1: Yeah, right, right. It's tough because it's like, you know, you want, people don't want to be depressed constantly. You know, you don't want people just complaining about how everything is terrible. But the reality, I think, is is always much crazier than people realize for most most of these people's stories. And a lot of people, I think, are embarrassed by some of the things that they have failed at, that they don't bother sharing them. They don't think people would be interested in hearing these things. But it's like, I, I don't know. You know, like yeah. I've made so many mistakes. And even in high rise, I mean, we still make a bunch of mistakes and we still get frustrated and we still want certain things to be working out better. And we just keep taking shot after shot after shot. But from all of this experience of my past, that's how it works for everybody.
0: So, I want to talk about high rise, but b- before we do that, I just want to kind of close off on on draft. So we kind of talked about you having to you know be the solo founder, having to do everything, so you're having to think about improving the product, and I know from the research I did you were you were releasing new features at a pretty steady rate. Then you're doing a lot of writing. Then you're having to think about customers. You're having to think about, you know, the DevOps stuff, all of that. How did you prioritize your time? How did you decide what you were going to work on?
1: Well, this is something that that I I really, I I started with draft. We do it today at rise, but it's like, I really got obsessed with cycles, And this goes back to the quote that that we talked about in the beginning, that done is better than perfect. And you don't want perfectionism to kind of creep in, but it does. And it does for me, you know, like there's a a feature I'm working on right now that's just like, I kept asking for like, can the font size be bigger? Can we change the font color here? Can we move it over to the right? Like, does any of this matter? Maybe not. But I am also a very stickler for like, you know, really perfect design details. So how do I not get haunted by that and, and cursed by all of that? Well, so at draft, what I did was I implemented to myself, every three weeks, I'm going to send out an email newsletter to every single person using draft. And it's going to tell them something new about the product, hopefully, three features, I better not send out a newsletter that has nothing on it. So that (laughs) cycle became this like forcing function for me that like, I knew in three weeks, I'm gonna have to send out a newsletter, there better be three things on it. And so that was the a huge force, you know, because at the beginning of the month, it's like, well, there's a lot of cool stuff I could work on. You know, there's feature requests, there's there's stuff I'd like to see, there's improvements. And so you start tackling some of the stuff and, you know, the big stuff seems doable and you start working on a two-week project and then you get real close to that three-week window and you're like, oh my God, this isn't going to be done in time. I need to find three fast things to work on right now so I can still send this newsletter out that forced me into a way to prioritize things, you know, like, yeah, I sure would like this, this new way. Like I, there's a way of, um, there's a button you can hit to get your document kind of improved. There's like a bot that will suggest improvements in your document. And the version that that's there now is like pales in the comparison to this version that I really was cooking up. This version I was cooking up was going to like auto trim your sentences and make your whole thing more concise based on this like academic research I found of someone who was able to pull this off. And it took me months of work. But every time I got to that three week window, it's like, well, I, I'm not there. I'm not done with it. So let me find three things that I can get out this month. That was the the driver. That's what helps me kind of eliminate. The perfectionism thing. It's like, I don't really care what I get done as long as the momentum is there. And so that was a big part of draft. It's like, yeah, I got a lot done. Sometimes they were big, sometimes they were small, but I always got a bunch done as long as I was able to announce something and and show people the momentum I have in the product. That was it. That was like the biggest priority show momentum. Things like support. You know, at rise we love doing this really great support, we can. We've got a really great support team. But, like, a solo founder, like, if you're trying to make a product and there's a lot of stuff to do, you might not be able to do the greatest support. Like, own it. Don't fake it. You know, like, you'd send support, and it would just go to my, like, email, you know, and... Sometimes I wouldn't get back to people. It wasn't the greatest experience probably, but that wasn't what I was optimizing for. If you want to optimize for it, go for it. But it couldn't have been my top priority because you can only have one priority. And my priority was like product momentum. You know, so you know, support requests, if they weren't urgent, you know, I'd get back to it in days or weeks sometimes. Like feature requests, I'd say thank you, but not, you know, terse answers. So that's it. You know, that was that was a big one. Like, really figure out what your one priority is and optimize for that. Mine was momentum, and everything else really kind of got taken care of on its own. Even writing, that that was on, based on a cycle basis too. Like, I've since when I started Ninjas and Robots, a blog that I had created, kind of I think it was like in between City Posh and Draft, or while I was doing City Posh, I committed to just getting one article done a week. I promised Dustin Curtis who invited me to his his blog network Subtle at the time. He said in order for you to be on this thing you got to do one article a week. And that's it. And I've like kept that habit of just getting myself into a habit of just publishing something once a week. Again, I don't even care what it is. I try my best. If I've got a lot of time in front of me, you know, I try to get an article done that's got a lot of research and a lot of cool storytelling. But like even this week I've gotten a lot of stuff on my plate. I published an article a week ago, that was basically just a transcript of a vlog I did. Like I just quickly went through the transcript, kind of cleaned it up. And it's like, I'm. It, it was good. I was fine. It might not have been the thing I would have written had I had a lot of time on my hands, but I'm on a cycle. So I've got to get it out the door. So I, I do a lot of things in these cycles. They force me to get stuff done.
0: So you mentioned uh, Heroku and Indie I was just curious in terms of, were there any other services that you would recommend to people maybe listening that they may not have maybe thought about, you know, beyond the obvious things like, yeah, I'll use GitHub or whatever.
1: So I use Indonero for draft. I use a combination of things though these days for, there's a lot of startups now doing all the same stuff kind of in the space, but things like Zenefits is out there. We use Gusto for payroll. Bench is another good one for bookkeeping. So these are some good services that we use for you know doing any of these like kind of administrative functions. Lead Genius now doesn't really do the thing that they did anymore. But there's versions of that that I think people don't tap into quite enough. Is TaskRabbit still around maybe? There's versions of TaskRabbit that are out there that I think are like ripe for still kind of including in your life to like take on a task. Maybe if it's even a, a marketing task. There's someone that I... I I've tried a little bit. They weren't right for me at high rise, but maybe they would have been right for me in a different function that I, I'm kind of excited about. But it's like um, they do like on demand. I'm going to screw this up because like I don't have a name in the top of my head. They like do on demand design. Maybe we can look this up in post, but it's like they do on demand design work. Like it's again, it's like you can outsource this design work. You don't have to have maybe a designer on hand. Maybe you need a quick email designed, or you need a, a postcard, or you need, you know, a PowerPoint deck. And these so these guys are on staff, and they could quickly spin up some of this stuff. But yeah, I would just keep your eyes open for more of these services that just keep outsourcing away from like your core function. If, if your core function is to building really cool stuff, like how many services can you hire just to do all those extra things? There's a lot of them.
0: So you moved over to, you joined Hi-Rise. What's the current state of Draft? Like, do you still have people working on that? Is it still an active development?
1: I keep it up to date. You know, I keep it patched. I keep answering support emails. And so I, I keep it running. I, you know, do that obviously because I want to keep customers happy because they keep paying for it. I mean, Draft keeps making money every month, but I also use it still constantly. Like right now, as I'm talking to you, I have Draft open with answers to possible questions and things that we could talk about in this interview. So I use it every day. It's like open all day long. So I have to keep it running or I'd be at a loss. I still don't think there's a tool that quite matches what I wanted it to accomplish.
0: How do you make money from draft? That's one thing I couldn't figure I couldn't find a way to pay you for anything. <laughs> it's like, If you haven't
1: made enough documents, if you've made enough documents, there will be a button that says unregistered at the bottom left that start, that'll pop up eventually. And so... It's this thing that I let you use for free, but then I start nagging you a little bit to try to pay me. And so there'll be a button that shows up as unregistered, and you click it, and you can pay me. That's it. You you click it, and you can pay me four bucks a month, or you could pay for edits. You know, like I make some money from the edits, but the edits that it isn't a very profitable exercise because I have to, obviously have to pay someone to then do those edits. I basically just try to encourage you to pay me. You know, use this product for free. You don't really get much else. If you do pay me, you get the satisfaction of like not having this thing, say unregistered in big letters on the thing. There's things like a little community that's not very active anymore, you know, that who talk about writing. You get a discount in the pro editing. It's one of those things I, I was an experiment. It worked out okay. Like I kind of liked it. I feel like if I were to take another crack at it, I might take a crack at doing more freemium stuff. like, offering the product still for free, but maybe holding back some of the features unless you upgrade. But at the moment, I don't have time to fool with it. But I think that's where I would start experimenting if I did.
0: So I know you don't talk about specific revenue numbers, but can you kind of give us a sense of like how big the business is or maybe how many users you have or, you know?
1: Oh man, I've like lost track of number of users, a lot. Um, Like it, because it's free, a lot of people have picked this up. So it pays... These days, I mean, it was growing there for a while, and then I may have, like, ticked down now in the high-rise days, but it makes it enough to pay someone to work on it, probably. Like, I probably should hire somebody to do things, but that that's about it. It, it, it pays enough about a salary to, to hire someone who could maybe work on it full-time or part-time. It's still relatively small, but it's only now because it, I think it, it would be much bigger if, if I were spending time on it. I really haven't been able to spend any time on it since taking over rise.
0: I just love the how well designed it is, the simplicity and the fact that you don't realize it can do all this stuff because it looks so simple. But once you start kind of peeling away the layers, you, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. I didn't know you could do that. You know, like the kind of the feature we talked about earlier. I think that's what is a big part of the appeal, certainly when I, when I look at it.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and... I mean, I think that also goes into the, you know, I made design decisions here that I think were also to remove, one, it was an aesthetic that I enjoy, but it was also from necessity. Like, as a solo founder, I don't have time to spend on making all these bells and whistles and frills, like, more well-designed. So I really try to strip it down to just the basics that won't be hard for me to design quickly. You know, I think a lot of people they bite off these projects and they're like, well, I need a designer because it's got to do all this stuff. And it's like, well, does it really, I mean, if you really strip it down, like it could just be a white page and some text. And, you know, you could read a book to get a little bit better about how to get better about managing white space and learn a little bit about fonts. And there you go. You don't really need any design. (laughs) There's a lot more to that, I think, for in people's businesses. When I talk to them about what they've got dreamt up it's like well that's that's really great it'd be great if you could have all of that stuff but it's probably going to require hiring people can you strip it down just to some real basic stuff that i don't get it out the door with just the basics and then then you can see where it goes and a lot of people i don't think do this enough they don't go through that exercise of like okay what is really drop dead critical you know can I just throw this away? Can I get rid of this? Does it really have to even have this this fanciness to it? Just ditch it. And and when you, what you're left with is often I think pretty manageable by just one person.
0: Did you use any libraries like Bootstrap or something for the front end, or or did you just build that yourself?
1: No, I, I did use Bootstrap, which is interesting. Like that was one of those design decisions. I did use Bootstrap, but I refused to make it look like normal Bootstrap. <laughs> right. That's one thing that I think a lot of people get a little lazy about. They like take these things that that obviously Bootstrap is a really nice framework to give developers a nice leg up in terms of like design. You know, it gives them a design framework that they're maybe not used to like dreaming up all on their own from things like responsive grid frameworks and, and CSS classes. But then they just go ahead and use the default Bootstrap theme. Yeah, everybody has seen these sites like over and over again. And so like, if I was going to use Bootstrap, it was like, I'm going to just completely obliterate the old design and, and change everything. But yes, it, it just uses Bootstrap. But but I made a big effort to like, well, this isn't going to look like another Bootstrap site.
0: Yeah, well, it's very well done. Is high-rise still part of, I mean, I know it's a spun off as a separate company, but are people like Jason Fried still kind of actively involved in the business?
1: Definitely. So th- they're the parent company. We're a subsidiary. I mean it gave us you know, spinning off as a separate business gave us the enough room to kind of do our own thing, hire our own people, you know, really do our own thing. But yeah, Jason and David still sit on the board of directors and we're still, you know, a wholly owned subsidiary of, of Basecamp.
0: So how did you end up getting that job?
1: Just loose connections, you know, like I've been good about I've been good. I wouldn't say I'm the best at this, and I really also recommend people get better at this. I have a friend, Harper Reed who was the CTO at the Obama campaign. You know, he did um, Modest that was bought by PayPal. The guy is the king of keeping loose connections around. He reminds me, there's a story about Bill Clinton using these like notebooks. Ever since he was a kid, he'd write down every single person he met in these notebooks. And so that when one day he was gonna become president, he had this huge network of people to call on for things like donations and help. Harper's the same way, I think even, He had a notebook just like Bill Clinton. I don't even know if he realizes Bill Clinton used to do this, but like Harper did the same thing. And the guy is just flush with so many network connections just because he he likes to say say hello and make sure he remembers who you are and will say hi to you again in the future. That's how it worked out with Jason. Like, Jason Freed, I met him at some sort of tech event back in Chicago in like 2006 or something. And you know, I said hi, hey, I, you know, I read your blog and, and dig what you're working on. And ever since then, I've, I've just gradually, you know, kept that loose connection alive—an email here, an email there. You know, I'd email someone on their team about some security problem I found or something like that back in the day, and just kept that relationship alive. And then when I started Draft, I. Because his connection is alive, I sent him an email that was just like, Hey, would you be interested in, in chatting about product design? I'm working on some writing software. I know you like writing. I know you like simple tools. You want to just get together every now and then and chat. So that we started meeting up and, and just talking about draft every now and then. And he'd show me designs for Basecamp and stuff like that. And then, so yeah, when they announced this whole hire that they wanted to spin high off, I was this obvious candidate because. I've got this connection with him. And so it really, I think it's just a lesson in just keeping a lot of loose connections alive. It's okay not to make everybody your best friend, but put some effort to keeping a CRM or just even a notebook around meeting new people.
0: What's your focus at, at Highrise? What's the most important thing for you there?
1: When we started, it was a lot about product momentum. A lot of people unfortunately thought Highrise was shutting down. The news wasn't delivered the best that high rise was looking to spin off because there was some language that, like, well, high rise is we're, we're looking for someone to buy it. And people got worried that high rise was shutting down. And we had a lot of competitors that like fueled that fire, unfortunately. And so we really needed to breathe some new life into the product. So the first half of what we did was just really like focus on. Cycles of of getting features out, you know, convincing people that we're still around and we' we're, we're, this product is important to us. right now it's all marketing. We still need a, a bigger flywheel for marketing. One of the benefits of of kind of spinning away from basecamp in thirty seven signals was like now we get our own resources and our own room to do stuff. but one of the curses of that is we don't really have that same halo that like, we get it a little bit, but it's not very strong anymore. That like high rise is a base camp brand or a 37 signals brand. You know, Jason and David and Basecamp, they they do really well, you know, spreading the word out about themselves. They're very influential figures. But that that halo, you know, kind of decreases now. So we we really need to kind of figure this out ourselves. So yeah, I mean our our core responsibility, our core focus today is like getting much better about getting the word out about high rise.
0: It feels like a product that's just right up your street, right? In terms of, you know, a simple CRM, a big focus on great user experience, taking a lot of the the sort of the complex functionality that maybe you'd expect to have behind a CRM and finding ways to either simplify those features or present them to users in, in a simpler way, kind of taking a lot of the sort of the same philosophy that maybe you've applied with Draft into high rise. Maybe that's what Jason was thinking.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And I agree. Like I, I thought it was like the perfect, and that was the reason I took this jump. I mean, I thought it was a little bit of a risk because I was like, you know, draft was, was really doing pretty well, like getting the word out and, and, you know, seeing growth. And it was like, I want to jump into high rise and, and do this crazy project. That's kind of like a very unknown thing. Like, and it kind of turned this company around because it hadn't been given much, much attention for a long time. And it was like, Yeah, I do, because it's, one, HiRise has been a tool since I've used since all my startups. You know, when we needed a sales tool to talk to customers at Inkling and at CityPosh, we used HiRise. And so I was very comfortable with the domain. I was very comfortable already with the tool. I knew things that I wanted it to do. You know, I wanted to get emails inside quicker. I wanted it to do bulk email. And then there's that, then the philosophy of like definitely keeping something simple, realizing people are probably, most of us are coming from like Excel and, you know, a group inbox or something that we don't need all the bells and whistles. We just need our first kind of step into sharing, you know, a group address book and notes and emails with, with a team. It was totally right up my alley. So yeah, I thought it made a lot of sense.
0: One thing I want to make sure we also talk about is, um, your YouTube channel. So that was something that I guess you started about a year ago?
1: Yeah, like I started dipping my toes in the water maybe like a year and a half ago, but I got serious about it a year ago.
0: And then so have you basically been like vlogging like every day since then?
1: Yeah. So yeah, on January 1 of 2017, I told everybody I'm going to film a video every single day. And I was pretty good about it at the start. And then it started fading There was a number of reasons. Like, I don't know, I started getting like pretty obsessed with the numbers. And I thought maybe when I wasn't doing a video every day, I was seeing better subscriber growth. And I was just I was trying to game things too much. And then I kinda lost motivation. And so then I was just like, you know what? Screw it. Like I'm gonna stop paying so much attention to the numbers and gaming this thing and just keep committing to it and trying to get better than the day I was before. And so then I forgot when that was maybe forgot when I did that. Maybe back in like July or June, I like recommitted myself, and since then I've been pretty steady. I think I got sick one week and missed a few days, but almost every day since then it's been about a video every single day.
0: I subscribe to the channel and I'll include a link to the in the show notes for people who want to check that out, but yeah, I mean certainly it helped me to feel like I knew you better before Thank we you. we had this conversation which was which was awesome cool, it reminded me of what you said earlier about like the forcing function and and I think I might have heard you say this in one of your videos where yeah, probably it kind of almost put you in a place where you were kind of, from the time you woke up, you were thinking about, okay, what's the the story or the lesson or, or the point that I want to make to kind of deliver some value with my YouTube video for today?
1: There's a, so many cool benefits like that. Like one, like you mentioned, like it felt like you got to know me on this YouTube channel. And that was a huge thing. I wanted to kind of produce, which is like I don't think we get to know enough of our our the people we do business with. You know, like you spend money at so many companies, and you're just another dollar to most people, and and you don't know them, and they don't know you, and it's like it sucks. You know, like I I enjoy doing business with the companies that are a little bit more open about themselves when they tell me about like you know, the challenges and things that went into making their products and they get more loyalty from me. And so um, that was a big part of it, just opening up and showing all the stuff that I go through, even if it's like showing the challenges of of raising a kid. Uh, You know, some of these vlogs are not even about business. They're about like, my kid's sick. How the heck are we going to get through Christmas like this? And then two, yeah, I mean, it is, it's a forcing function to find something creative about the day some lesson from the day, you know, it helps me appreciate the day, you know, like so many days run in together, I think for a lot of us, right? You're constantly doing the same thing. You got another interview, you got to send another email out. And before you know it, you look back and just like, I did the same thing every single day. Well, this at least helps me find like one little nugget that, you know, sometimes there's something huge that happened in the day, but often it's just like, well, I'm going to really have to force myself to look really hard to find that one cool thing that I could teach someone or appreciate. So it, I like that aspect of what it does for me internally, as well as kind of what it does for the business and how it offers like another way of communicating with customers and fans and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, you know, when you think of the CEO of high rise, you don't think of a YouTube channel. And a lot of people don't do that. I mean, I'd thought about doing a YouTube channel at one point and it was like, um... I don't know. I think it'd be pretty boring. I don't know what I would kind of put on there. And I'm not really sure if I'm that comfortable, like, you know, putting it all out there, right?
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: And so was that something that you had sort of done before? Like, even little things like, you know, well, it wasn't a little thing, but you know, with your with your daughter being sick. And I remember it was like, hey, you know, we're supposed to go around to some, we got some event going on tonight and and stuff like that. And were you comfortable? Like, sharing that kind of information?
1: Yes and no. Um, the answer is it's complicated. I mean, like I have had some experience of, you know, I've done acting classes like for years. Like I, I love acting. You know, I've been in some little things, a, a film here and there, student films. I've been in a play, et cetera. I'd like to do more of it and I, I don't get to. So I, I've had a little experience with this. But the flip side of this is like, I'm a huge introvert. Like, I don't spend a lot of time with people outside. I mean, I I really like meeting new people and I like making friends and you know, like these loose connections I was just talking about, but man, I don't, I don't like going to parties. I don't like being in crowds. I don't really love drawing attention to myself. And so when you've got that camera and you're talking to it outside in a public place, doing a vlog like (laughs) I do, it draws attention (laughs) and it's, it's really not, I don't like it. And, and yet, What I've recognized in my life is that so many of these pivotal moments for us happen when we put ourselves in a moment where we are probably going to be embarrassed or we're not going to feel good about it. And I see that in my life. So often there were these moments where, you know, great things happened because I put myself out there and I thought, I thought like I was going to be embarrassed. I was going to look like an idiot, but I didn't. Not all of them worked out, but I didn't die or I didn't get embarrassed. You know, like yeah, I emailed that guy and wanted him to invest in me. It didn't work out, but who cares? Like I've moved on, and doing enough of that, it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to put that. You know, walk around talking to a camera. Who cares if people are looking at me? And just do it. And and it it took practice, and it still takes practice. I mean, I now I can I can do it a little bit more. Freely without really cringing on the inside, but I'm still not super comfortable with it. So it's just one of those things that I think you kind of have to recognize about yourself and tough through it, and and just recognize that if you can kind of get through an embarrassing moment like this, you you know there might be some really cool thing that that happens as the result of it.
0: All right, well, I'm going to include a, a link to the YouTube channel, and uh, you know, go and check it out. Um, Thank you. You can learn more about Nate and. Uh, You'll learn a thing or two. I certainly already have. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah. Let, let's get on with the the lightning round then. Um, so I'm going to ask you uh, seven questions. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received?
1: Why haven't you launched already? Paul Graham asked this, I think, to everybody. Like, get your product out. Why isn't it launched already? Stop delaying.
0: Well, what book would you recommend to our audience and Why?
1: something really new it's uh, one of these business books that no one seems to have read it all is about kind of like innovative things are all about simplifying people's lives that's it it's really simple read the book it's something really new
0: what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur
1: someone who just gets stuff done it doesn't matter what tools that they have they're going to use anything at their disposal to get it done They can build it with duct tape and glue if they have to.
0: (laughs) What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: These cycles that we've talked about. Publishing two articles a week, publishing a new video every day. Get yourself on some kind of cycle in in your business and, and personal
0: life. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time?
1: I don't know. Building the next YouTube, maybe. Like I love doing this YouTube vlog, but there's a lot of cracks over there and if i I really had all the time in the world and all the money to spend on it i would maybe take some shots at doing a a video startup
0: what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know i used to be a figure skater really (laughs) 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 um yeah we could have a conversation about that too definitely uh and uh finally what is one of your most important passions outside of your work
1: I mean, outside of work, it's it's my kid. I mean, that's it. That it's being a parent, raising my kid. That's the most important thing. I mean, that seems obvious. If it's not that, it's the vlog. I'm really obsessed with with uh, improving this vlog and video. I'm really kind of excited about the future video has.
0: Awesome, Nate. It's been a pleasure. I. Th- it feels like we could talk for hours, but, uh, I've got to be respectful of your time.
1: No, no. Yeah. And if you want me back on anytime, seriously, I, I'd love to chat more.
0: I would love to. And I will definitely take you up on that offer. It's, cool. it's yeah. public now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Don't hesitate. Seriously. Email me anytime.
0: So if people want to check out draft, they can go to draft in.com. And, uh, if they want to check out high rise, it's high rise HQ.com. Right. Yes. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm
1: really active on Twitter. Twitter's a good one for me. Just my Nate, Cotney, N A T K O N T N Y. But also email me. If anybody's got any questions or you need help, just no one should hesitate to reach out to me. Sometimes I'm not the best at getting back, but I will try. Uh, Just it's Nate, N-A-T-E, Cotney at gmail.com.
0: Awesome. Appreciate that. Okay, cool. Well, I wish you all the best. Um, at high rise sounds like uh a fun and challenging yeah. gig over there yes um and uh, yeah i would love to get you back and maybe we can talk more about what you're kind of learning with uh being the ceo over there and the life of a vlogger
1: cool Yeah, would love
0: to. <laughs> awesome thanks nate it's been a pleasure yeah
1: no problem thank you
0: cheers are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team you've been missing that's the